Congratulations, Shinji. Congratulations, friends. Welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pals episode 26 with your hosts Alex and Ben. Yeah, and we are uh, very proud, very happy to have on for the fourth time this season our good friend, friend of the pod, Brian Bohey. Yay, good to be back. Awesome. And this is a really special episode that we have today, and it's because it's the finale of the the Evangelion as a series proper, and it's going to be the finale of our season of the podcast. So, yay! It's amazing. <laughs> we made it. Yeah. Brian, before we get into everything, I wanted to ask you, I know you've been doing this brain zapping thing. Well, not very. Oh, yeah. What do you call it? The new therapy you're working with? Neural feedback. Yeah, I've got a bunch of sensors connected to my head, um, just monitoring different regions and the speed of the brain waves coming out of those regions. And uh, it's an interactive system. So based on my brain activity, it either sends certain chimes through the audio or brightens or darkens the screen that I'm watching. Uh, it's all just based on like rewarding certain brain functions and suppressing other ones, Op optimizing brain speeds of the various regions of the brain. Oh, whoa. Cool. And then what do you, what is that used uh, primarily to treat like a whole range of issues or? Uh, yeah, actually um, I'm doing it for my ADHD. Uh, it's been a couple months now and noticed some really amazing changes. So I just remodeled my, uh, my kitchen. It took one week, whereas remodeling my bathroom took a whole year. Whoa. <laughs> That is uh, uh, a, a factor of 52. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I have a lot of projects that have been started but never finished, and that's starting to change. Well, I don't know it's... about Ben or the rest or our audience, but uh, all those symptoms sound real familiar to me. So maybe it's something we should uh, look into. <laughs> yeah, it's really fascinating stuff. Very cool. We do have, this is our, our, our final episode of the season, which is very exciting. And it is also exciting because it may be, we don't know if we're going to have the same segments next time. So it may be our final Pen Pen Pals pod update, though I think that one might come <laughs> Yeah, so I guess I have two this week. Uh, one is uh, this show, Wiretap. It's CBC, so Canadian Broadcasting Company. So that's like kind of like Canada's PBS or NPR. Um, and it's this show called Wiretap, which is Jonathan Goldstein's show. You might know him from the podcast Heavyweight, um, but he had a, a radio show for like a decade or something like that that included um, now podcast stars like Starly Klein. It was kind of like available, but hard to get to. And recently, it's kind of like the best ofs are being released in podcast form. And then I just listened to this show called My Year in Mensa, which is a stand-up comic who um, kind of like went in, joined Mensa to like sort of troll Mensa, but then um, <laughs> turned into this much weirder thing. It's just like four 30-minute episodes. I just binged it today. I have a little bit of mixed feelings about it, but I think it is 
one of the best depictions of just like going to a convention that I've ever heard. Oh, so whoa. just kind of like the weirdness of the sorts of people you meet and the kind of general atmosphere. And it was kind of fun to hear someone just describe it in words. Yeah. My Rex. What about the uh, the pee pods? How's that Pen Pen Pals pee pod update? So I know we didn't, you know, our, our release schedule is always behind and we're never current, but uh, they sprouted. The, I got peas before, even though we had a couple of freezing nights, uh, I guess the ground never got cold enough to kill the roots. And so it's not, you know, the, the crop that I got at the beginning of the year, but they came out. The, the, I'll be able to eat some peas. Are these snap peas? Yeah, I think they're like, they're like sugar snap peas. There's similar variety that you would get at uh, your local grocery store. Yeah, so the, the snap peas survived the cold snap. <laughs> I don't know. It's not that, but there's something there. It was a good try. It was great. It's the delivery that really did it. Understated. Anyways. Last time on Space Runaway Shinji. Shinji dwelled on his assistance in the suicide of Kawaru, the last angel, quickly questioning his morality of piloting an Ava. Instrumentality began, and we got a brief introduction into this soul-searching process through the story of Misato, Asuka, and Rei, finally focusing on Shinji. A theater manifested as an appropriate framing device for Shinji's life on display. An image of Misato guided Shinji through instrumentality, but experience is too complicated to explore in just one episode. Will the story re-solidify? Can Shinji transform the process of instrumentality into something positive? Or is instrumentality transforming Shinji? Is there a difference? Let's find out. All right, episode 26, the beast that shouted I at the heart of the world. The human instrumentality project continues. Shinji must decide whether to accept a world alone or embrace connections with others. Sounds a little bit like the hedgehog's dilemma. We're gonna resolve something. And I heard that um, Alex finally memorized all of the lyrics to the song just really? in time for the final episode. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It, uh, <laughs> and this will all be performed live. <laughs> I really expect you to read fast there. Mm-hmm. All I got was that this is happening to everyone, and we're just focusing on Shinji. They also don't translate some of the title cards, which is frustrating. Mm-hmm. He's like, whatever. <laughs> so, not what anyone was expecting when they first watched this show. Like, this is not the ending anyone would have guessed, which is awesome, right? Because a lot of this show is nothing that anyone would have guessed. Very strange, but we we get a couple of opening title cards that tell us that this is human instrumentality. And it's happening for everyone across the world. All 7 billion people are, well, I mean, it's actually. I think exactly half of the world's population died. Okay. So we're probably like 3 billion. Okay. So 3 billion people are experiencing this process simultaneously. And we don't know what the end point of it 
is supposed to be, except maybe that everyone feels better about themselves and they get to inhabit a world that's closer to what they imagine, what, what's healthier for them, instead of a one world answer for everybody, which uh, pretty cool message there. Uh, it mostly focuses on, it all focuses on Shinji. So the previous episode, Asuka, Rei, Misato, was there anybody else? Like actual internal experiences, I think that's everybody. Like we saw Ritsuko, we see a couple other people, and of course most characters from the show show up as visions or voices for other characters, but I think it's those four. Well, I guess um, I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I can understand the dissatisfaction that like the general anime crowd may have been feeling because it's really subvertive. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like the ending. I, I agree with the artistic choices, uh, but man, it is very different from the direction that your average mech anime show goes. And there's no telegraphing that something like this is going to happen. Yeah, that's very true. And so we don't know if, like, there's all that talk about budgeting and running out of time to get the series completed to get the episodes out. Because I guess once you start the series running, you're kind of on a deadline unless you make really strong choices afterwards, or I mean, like, uh, uh, really drastic choices afterwards. I don't know if this is the the ending that Anno envisioned when they started it, but I do think that something like this is what he envisioned. Like the leaving the series with a statement on perspective and individuality and where a young person fits in the world and the pressures that are on that person. Like, I think that he was absolutely trying to go for that. And I agree with you. I think that, I don't know, it really conveys. Like there, there are some really strong choices, right? Like- mm. There are several scenes where it cuts to, you know, there's still images and things, but there are a couple of scenes where it cuts to more rudimentary animation style. Mm-hmm. I think the modern term for it is animatics. Uh, it's not fully animated. You might have mm-hmm. like key frames animated and then you'll have the voiceover with it. But at the same time, they took uh, one of those sequences, which just blew me away when I watched it this time this uh, sketch just starts morphing into Mm. different stuff. And it's really stunning. And you think, oh, well, I thought the animation was supposed to be cheap. And, you know, we were like running out of our ideas and budget at this point. And yet maybe that was the statement to everybody. Like, this is a choice. This is not just out of necessity. Like towards the end of the episode, when the animation or when we start to come out of Shinji's Uh, slice of life anime his new (laughs) life that he's creating or or possibility for it as it comes out of that it goes back to the animatic style and almost as if that narrative is breaking down that perspective is breaking down as we come back up into the higher perspective where Mm. he takes a look at what's going on and decides for himself whether he wants to keep going with that or not and like uh, at least framing wise it's stunning it's it's brilliant yeah, I had a similar thought about that particular animation and, and it does, you know, it's just very skillfully done, right? And and I don't know, it's hard for me to estimate, you know, the, the cost of doing, say, like that sort of animation or versus like kind of the conventional cells and, and conventional anime animation. But there was a part of me that just wondered if that was something they had kind of like sitting around or something <laughs> like that. Like that was like, some ex team building exercise they did at the beginning of making this or something that then they're like, well, we can stick that in there. It's, it's beautiful. Like it'll be great. <laughs> it is very beautiful. 
But it, I mean, like, so because there are like the crosses and, and some imagery that we've seen throughout this show. So it's not completely disconnected, but mm-hmm. it doesn't directly line. Well, no, actually, parts of it do line up, actually, right? Like, they're talking about kind of like this self versus others, and then we start seeing two figures. So. Oh my gosh, and what a wonderful way to to represent that visually. Like it starts as a line and then the line moves into two. Uh, you know, the line is undefined because it doesn't have anything else. And then it's mm-hmm. two identical, but not the same circles, almost like a cell dividing, right? And then it starts becoming fish. And it, anyways, I, we could just talk about that. <laughs> I, I, I guess having thought about it a little bit more, I think my synopsis or my take, and I'm, I'm willing to be, convinced because I often am talking to you guys that there's like more going on here than I realize. But I think to me, I do feel I do feel a little disappointed by the amount this, you know, there was so much kind of build up. We've delved into to all of this different, you know, all of the different intrigue and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then it you know, it kind of feels like the instrumentality happens and then that just like wipes everything clean and none of that really mattered. And, you know, maybe that's like part of the message that ultimately none of that stuff matters. But it still seems like there's a way you could kind of explore these same topics or have a lot of these same things, but somehow give more resolution to the the overall story mm. so it doesn't feel so much like uh like oh it was all a dream which like i think they're aware that it does seem sort of like that because that's essentially what they do with that, that like shinji sequence in the middle right kind of waking up and, and going to school sequence it's almost like oh was it all a dream and like <laughs> like this is just the ending well i'm glad you brought that up Th- this address is kind of i guess I don't know if frustration is the right word, but um, I searched to try to figure out what what was going on with these last two episodes. You know, I've heard the rumors about the budget stuff, and then there's the end of Evangelion movie, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't find some real clear answers. (laughs) You know, I I read the articles on Anime USA and uh, NAX, but like, they didn't interview anybody, (laughs) any primary sources, and it was all just hearsay, really. But part of the hearsay was that you know, Anno had planned all of this in advance, like budgetary constraints had nothing to do with it. But it still raises the question for me, like, why wasn't the movie End of Evangelion, like just a part of the series? Like it starts at the end of episode 24. And then the last half of it kind of overlaps with 25 and 26. And then gives you a little bit after 26 with an alternate ending, actually. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that like the movie fills in a lot of details of like, the last few hours leading up to instrumentality. I don't know. It it doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know about his past stuff. I need to look into the things that Anno did, especially Gunbuster before this, but it does line up with like works he would uh, uh, complete later. Like Mm -hmm. Shingo Jira, that movie's like a strong statement on political alliances and the new generation and, Mm -hmm. you know, the futility of military solutions to uh, natural disasters. And I I feel like maybe Anno picks his, crafts his uh, stories 
to subvert people to say, hey, come watch this cool Godzilla movie or, oh, hey, come check out these fighting robots so that he can, you know, get past your defenses so that he can talk to all of these mecha boys and be like, hey, you need to be focused on and understand there's more to the world beyond hot girls and mecha, okay? Like, and I'm going to give it to you, whether you want it or not. I will definitely be your friend and cozy up. But in the end, I'm going to tell you the thing that I felt was worth saying. Mm. And that, I mean, like I said, I, I'm essentially a novice when it comes to his work, but at least the two examples that I have, it works out much the same way. You know, spoilers for Shin Gojira, but like, they have a cool solution at the end. They don't have a military solution. Like it's completely off the wall, but it all makes sense if you're willing to have a little imagination. People seem to uh, complain about these two episodes not making any sense, but I mean, it's not literal, but there's a pretty strong through line. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I agree. Ano's point gets made. Man, I, I still just struggle with just the logistics of how the story unfolds mm. more specifically about the, why did that, the movie end of Evangelion have to be partitioned away from the series. And I don't know, maybe it's just the budget thing, but couldn't it just as easily, since we don't have strong information one way or the other, couldn't that just have easily been something that came from corporate? They said, Hey, you should do a movie too, because people will pay to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Let Let's make the ending unsatisfying. So they have to watch hey, uh, that seems to be a lot of, I don't know. I feel like a lot of Marvel movies do that, you know, the, <laughs> with the advent of the after credit scene, every movie just mm. became uh, a commercial for the next film. Right. I, I like, I feel like that's just good writing. I don't know. Just <laughs> give, them, give them the tease. So I do have one defense for these last two episodes um, mm. in response to some of the criticisms I saw online. Going sort of cosmic, if you will, at the very end, I did not find that very jarring just because I'm used to seeing that in a lot of anime. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can understand like a younger anime viewer or uh, someone's just, just coming into anime, finding it like too much of a hard left. But probably the, the most popular one would be like, Akira, which starts out as a street-level motorcycle adventure and goes very, very cosmic. Our Megazone 23, uh, Urasai Yatsura, there's even a loop in the third movie uh, that starts out as just a sneak thief in his comedy antics, and it ends up addressing the origin of the universe and mankind. <laughs> oh. But... Uh, <laughs> It was a pretty common thing to see in anime throughout the 80s. Is that uh, Castle of Cagliostro? Yeah. Yeah, isn't that... Um, Miyazaki, right? Yeah, his first uh, theater work, I feel like. Yes, indeed. Ano himself actually worked on a Miyazaki movie, uh, Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind. Yeah, I think he animated the fire giant. That's right. Which will show up again in his work over like you know <laughs> the avas are kind of just like fire giants yeah. you know these grown creatures that are uh agents of mass destruction yeah he definitely has his thing yeah <laughs> sorry i just do not have much structure for this okay so i guess let's go through it it's hard to remember what happens where but I did take some notes. So if if anybody wants to just say like what was awesome or what they had notes about, uh, we can kind of take turns there. The, the notes I had, they don't really go line by line to the show. It's 
mm-hmm. more about um I was just noticing this progression of the episode. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know what, we, what you want to call this, like the, the astral therapy session or whatever it is, the instrumentality experience. I like that. So there's these questions that are raised, you know, who do we live for? What's the point? Mm. And the conversation is very like survival oriented. And then it starts getting into more of like, like a Maslow's kind of idea. Uh, it goes from survival to self-preservation to the social needs of like wanting praise and approval. Mm. Uh, and then from there, it starts getting into issues of value and self-worth. And then from there, it starts going into self-perception. And then we start leaving psychology and start going into philosophy. It was kind of like, uh, it just kind of reminded me of my units on like early childhood development. Oh. <laughs> um, we were sort of seeing this like flash forward of this maturing process and the types of questions you ask as you get older and start becoming more self-aware. And I guess some of the the imagery kind of accompanies that too, right? Like we see, you know, Shinji suckling at the teat again mm-hmm. and, and kind of like this young Shinji and young Asuka wanting praise from their parents or acceptance of their parents and stuff. Yeah, and both being afraid to go to their parents for uh, different reasons. Like Asuka's mom is dead and going to her means maybe Asuka won't be conscious anymore. And Shinji's uh, Gendo, obviously, because he's, you know, he's like not a good father. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, you know, there's always, always this question of like, kind of like, why do you pilot the Ava or kind of like more broadly, maybe why do we do things that are hard and, and painful? And it's kind of this idea that you really like you can't escape like that. That's painful, too. Mm. But then this struggle of having some sort of identity outside of your job or or what you do and the the difficulty in finding that maybe, which which I think is kind of like a condition of the modern world for a lot of people that we've kind of lost kind of like our sense of identity maybe as just like kind of part of a, a group and you know we're just kind of defined individually by by what we're doing hmm. yeah almost like we have more labels and so we're put into boxes more easily this part was a real head scratcher for me maybe it's just because i haven't really resolved what i my thoughts on identity uh, but he's talking about why do you pilot the Ava? And he's talking about the praise that he gets. And mm-hmm. then his father comes into the picture. And I think it was the image of Masato, maybe, that said that like your behavior defines who you are. Mm-hmm. And I got to thinking about like, maybe it's more of an East Coast and a West Coast thing, but you know, you meet someone new and one of the first questions is, what do you do? Like whatever it is you do for your career to earn a living, like that defines you. Like that's your identity. Right, and everyone seems to take that question the same way. They, they, the question is, what do you do? And you could be like, oh, these are my hobbies. Oh, this is what I do at home. But most people mean, what do you, how, what's your work? What's your job? Yeah, and in some ways it is like, where you spend a big chunk of your time doing that other people don't necessarily, right? So it in some ways, like, you know, we all eat and we all sleep and whatever. So it's like, uh, I don't know exactly what I'm saying. But, um, <laughs> well, you're saying that oftentimes our, our work is what differentiates us. Yeah. So, so maybe we focus on what makes us different more than what we have in, in common. 
I, I was just like reading this thing. It was kind of like a Wikipedia whole kind of situation. And so I don't know if I'm just projecting it onto this episode, but it's the, the guy who invented sociology, this guy Durkheim. Mm-hmm. And he has this concept called anime, um, A-N-O-M-I-E. And I don't completely get it. But I think one of the aspects of it is this idea that as we started doing kind of more like different jobs and we had more specialization of labor, then people became more different from one another. And that process has been continuing basically since we started this kind of like modern area where we divide up work and the you know, the social fabric kind of falls apart. And, um, you know, one of the things he was very interested in is suicide and why people commit suicide and when they commit suicide. And I think one of the things he showed is it's sometimes it's when really bad things happen. But he also thought anyway, that suicides increase in these times when actually many possibilities are possible. And so that reminded me a little bit of that kind of black and white animation where Shinji is just kind of floating out there in the wide wor- white world. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, like you can do whatever, but like that doesn't feel good either, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> like you need some sort of like constraints. And again, I don't know if I'm like just projecting this all onto it because it's a thing I happen to be reading recently. Well, it's very in keeping with some of the themes of the episode. Like everything is projection, right? Like everything that you experience, like there is, at least theoretically, there's something else out there that is the real thing. But the only thing you get to experience is a representation of that thing through your own mind. So like it may have existed there before you, but your experience of it is what makes it real, at least to you. Hmm. Oh, and you talk about suicide. There was this thing I wanted to bring up. Twice it shows a sheet of paper that uh, like an identification sheet. I think it has Shinji's picture on it. And then it has like name Shinji. And then it has a whole bunch of different categories. But then the text of the sheet is just Shinji's genetic code. I mean, it's just A-G-T-C, right? Those four letters repeated over and over uh, with some of it blanked out, which is curious but near the top it says apoptosis pattern which is a function by which cells can commit suicide like Hmm. they can cause their own death because they are i guess malfunctioning or missing something it doesn't always work uh but that pattern that process apoptosis is what keeps Uh, a a cell that's like damaged from replicating and just creating more damaged cells. One of the options that's still on the table here for Shinji, you know, he, he can create a new world. He can find a new perspective, but he could also just give it up. There's still that exit door on the theater and, you know, positively or, you know, happily, like he does not choose to end his own life. He does not choose to end his experience, but maybe it being on that paper is just a a reminder that that's always there. Yeah, it's an interesting metaphor. So to chime in as a ex-student of biology. I was hoping you would. (laughs) Yeah, so so it's a programmed cell death. So like you were saying, Alex, if the cell is kind of damaged, a cell might go through apoptosis to stop itself from replicating. And also to kind of just stop it 
from damaging other cells so that if a cell dies in an unplanned way, then all this kind of junk goes out from it and that can cause inflammation or other problems. It all has to get cleaned up. But through apoptosis, the cell kind of shrinks itself and then you have immune cells that will just like eat it and digest it. <laughs> this is like... So yeah, so it's kind of more like recycling. Natural, healthy cell growth and death. Yeah, and so, so sometimes it's just like the cell realizes it's going to die. So it gets to this threshold where it's like, okay, let me now give up and die in the healthy way <laughs> wow. versus like exploding. And other times it's actually just part of development. So one of the examples they normally give is the reason we don't have webbed fingers. When your hands are developing, your skin grows up further in between your fingers. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, we don't want to have the webs. So then those cells are programmed to die to get rid of the webbing. So what if this is a part of instrumentality? You have like all the minds of humanity coming together as one being. In the same way that individual cells make up a human body, right? Like it's yeah. one more order of organization, a, a mega entity on top of humanity. Yeah. And you got to figure, you know, like there's some very healthy people. And there's some very unhealthy people out there. And uh, maybe like what we're seeing, like Shinji's experience is kind of like this determining process. His part of this larger organism, does it go away because it's going to be destructive or is it find a place and integrate in the larger whole? Whoa. I don't know. So yeah, so his apoptosis pattern, like I, I, ultimately he does not go through that process. He doesn't die or he, he, he stays with the experience of instrumentality. Mm -hmm. So it's happening to people across the world and we imagine mm -hmm. that those people who cannot stand up to this psychological questioning, this forced reflection. I always say it's a crucible. Oh, that's way cooler. That's like manifested as the voices of everyone who, uh, uh, I guess, has an impact on your life. Those people that cannot get through that crucible, it's okay. They, they also have a, a dignified way to end this. Mm. Oh my gosh. What you just said has suddenly made me like the alternate ending for uh, End of Evangelion. Oh, yeah? <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if, uh, if there's technically a spoiler section anymore. End of Evangelion. It's revealed that uh, a person can choose uh, to leave instrumentality if they want to after this sort of process, which is an interesting thing. So I guess we're seeing this already in these last two episodes that even though you're in instrumentality, you still have some kind of autonomy. Like you're not just lost in a sea of personality. Like you still have some sense of self, right? Uh, so that's strange how that works out. But uh, at the end, Shinji leaves and he's on the shores of this totally destroyed planet. And he looks over and there's one other person and it's Asuka. And they are the new Adam and Eve. <laughs> And when he looks over and sees that it's her, that they're the only two that left instrumentality, he starts to strangle her to kill her. Oh. And she raises a hand and just gently touches his cheek. And then he starts crying and he lets go and crumples down next to her. And 
that's how it ends. You think it'd be the other way around? I think Oscar <laughs> would be the one strangling him. Well, we don't really know what she went through in her own instrumentality experience. <laughs> right. Well, and also what what you've said before about I think the movies because you want the ending to be different. Okay, well, here's a way the ending could be different, but that means that Shinji has to be a different person. Mm -hmm. The Shinji that we see that goes through with instrumentality and accepts and like is like, mm -hmm. thank you, everyone, at the end. That's not the Shinji who walks out the door, finds Asuka, and strangles her. Uh, so, I mean, I originally hated that darker ending, but um, in the movie version of Shinji, he leaves instrumentality like not a healthier, fixed person. But whatever happens to Asuka, like, she's different. <laughs> she calms him down. Mm. Uh, she stops him from killing her. I don't know. It's a very melancholy, like, strange ending. Mm -hmm. Well, it's also in keeping with uh, Hegel's, I think, uh, uh, master-slave dialectic. The idea that when you first encounter another creature that defines your identity, it's an other. And your mm. reaction is, or the logical reaction would be, if there's another, then that means there's a not me. Mm. And if there's a not me, that means that there's something that could oppose or, you know, like be violent against me. So in order for self-preservation, I have to kill that, the other. So it's just that reaction. Sorry, Ben, I think I cut you off. No, no worries. There's going to be a cat in the background of my track, by the way. Oh, sweet. <laughs> so this is the episode of whether... Shinji kind of accepts the instrumentality, right? It's kind of like he opts in. Is that what we're deciding? That was my impression. Mm -hmm. And it se seems like there's kind of like three options, right? So there's that white world option where he can have total freedom, right? It's kind of like Sartre. Right? I always forget how you're supposed to... I think that's right. Pronounce this name, Sartre. Camus can do, but Sartre is smartre. <laughs> so original. So it's kind of like this idea of like hell is other people. So the the opposite of that would be just you. And so you can just do whatever you want because you're the, the only person, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the bad part of that is then you lose all sense of yourself because like we were just saying, you don't have this like other to kind of form yourself against it. And then it's like, okay, we have like the anime trope version of life where, uh, you know, you're just like a school kid and your family is like normal or whatever. And you're just like one of the, the gangs. And it kind of feels like maybe that's the life unexamined or something like that, right? Like you could just be this person and like live your life. But then there's this like third option where it's like, you're not fleeing society and becoming a recluse, but you're not completely buying in, but you're somehow actualized and around other actualized people who are like living their life intentionally and like deliberately and doing what they want to do. Oh, wow. Okay, so like the final sequence, he makes this statement like, I'm okay being me and then the, uh, or I want to be in the world. And then there's this cascaded effect where the like film lifts off of the world he's inhabiting. And then there's all the other people there saying congratulations. Well, I never thought like the order of operations, like he appears. I thought that they were appearing, but no, 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 you're right. Like 
he's coming into the <laughs> world of other people. And they're already there. They're all there being like, hey, you made it. Congratulations, you're here. Yeah. yeah. Going back to the, everyone is going through this. Like, are these like the people that have already made it through the instrumentality? Or are we like, so is he leaving his personal world? And this is like the new real world post-instrumentality? Or is this still part of just like his individual experience? I think that's him coming into contact with others again. I think it's uh, him breaching the personal barrier into the world of other people. Yeah, because like he still is realistic about his challenges, right? Of self-hatred, but he is now hopeful and has these messages that have you know, armed him. No, that's not the right word. But uh, oh, I get what you mean. It inspired him. Like uh, Misato, I think, is the one who's talking about through better understanding, like you'd be able to conquer self-hatred. Mm. I really liked that as a life coach and someone with a social work background. Crap. I forgot where I was going with all that. Much like this episode. No, this episode. <laughs> there were two glimpses of Pen Pen. <gasps> Almost as if Anno was sending us, the Pen Pen Pals, a message into the future. <laughs> Even though Pen Pen as an entity, oh, I guess he shows up in the clapping scene. Um, <laughs> to guide Shinji along, there's this emblem, like a, a symbol of Pen Pen, black and white, painted on a steel surface. And then not his alarm clock, but this thing next to his alarm clock is a little Pen Pen toy. As if to say, Pen Pen is always there. <laughs> I think we have our answer. Okay, good. <laughs> That's instrumentality. <laughs> that, that's that's it. will. And if you don't understand it, it's okay. Can't help you. Yeah, it's not for human minds to understand. One uh, little sound design thing that I noticed that I thought was uh, interesting. So the ending of the show, I think there's like two instrumental versions of this theme song that play. So there's kind of like this slower paced orchestral one and then uh, like piano version that kind of fades in. You know, we, we've heard this song 26 times now at this point, and that does, uh, it does work, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, maybe tear up. Yeah, well maybe I'll take this opportunity to say thank you to the two of you. Uh, I already saw Evangelion and enjoyed it just fine, but uh, being a part of this experience, um, I appreciate it so much more. I've had to go back and review several of the episodes. and You know, like when Ray 2 dies, uh, the first time I saw that, I was like, wow, they went there. Pretty powerful moment. Mm-hmm. And then I go back and I'm really feeling it. <laughs> and, uh, and I, you know, I, I felt good for Shinji at the end. So this we might have to put in the spoiler section or just cut. But so I, I had a memory from the show that I thought Asuka died. Is that the movie that she dies in? Asuka's Last Stand is in the movie, and she gets really wrecked badly. I don't know that she dies. Her Eva's destroyed. Yeah, I really don't remember it at all. You're going to love it. We're going to go over it. Yeah, uh, her Eva takes a a Spear of Longinus in the face, and Mm -hmm. Asuka herself starts bleeding from her whatever. Her hand is over her face. Oh, right. I never understood. I've seen lots of promotional art where Asuka has an eye patch. Yeah. I I didn't put that together. Cool. So I guess it's just her bad luck that out of the four eyes that her Ava has, (laughs) (laughs) it got the one. (laughs) 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 50-50. 
Uh, I love that even in this idealized slice of life anime world that he gets to inhabit for a hot minute, Gendo is still an absent father. Like yeah. he's just not paying attention at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like even in instrumentality, all Shinji gets from Gendo is one like line of encouragement. <laughs> Well, do you mind if I share my optimistic view of instrumentality? Oh, please do. Uh, okay, so maybe this is a little bit naive, but like best case scenario, I was thinking about if we were finding ourselves in this instrumentality situation, certainly there's a lot of character flaws that I carry with me that may not be an issue for someone else because maybe they're just more in tune with like the logical fallacies or defense mechanisms that would protect them that like I wouldn't be able to benefit from. And if we are like sharing everything that we were on such a deep level, like sort of like programming of it all would sort of fix itself. Like a lot of that logic stuff would get ironed out. That was just my optimistic speculation on a, on one way it could play out positively. And maybe that's why I latched on so much to when Misato talked about getting a greater understanding to like resolve things like self-hatred. But then the, uh, how do you say it again? The apoptosis? Yeah. Uh, like that issue um, made me think of like the downside of that, of like, you know, a very damaged or toxic person, like sharing like their psyche. <laughs> would it potentially go the other way? Hmm. I would tend to say not because just my perception of evil, I guess for lack of a better word, it comes from things like unmet needs and neural pathways that have been reinforced by maladaptive things or things like logical fallacies, defense mechanisms, and cognitive distortions. Mm-hmm. Again, maybe I'm just being naive, uh, but it kind of makes sense to me. Man, I like that definition of evil, though. It's like failing to meet someone else's needs or actively preventing someone from meeting their own uh, human needs. Like, pretty good definition of evil to me. <laughs> well, we kind of see that in the show, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of, like, Masato's self-destructive behavior comes from this damaged relationship with her father. Like, if that piece had been fixed, maybe she just would have been that happy-go-lucky teacher at the high school. Yeah. So did I hear right that uh, you you both have already seen the End of Evangelion movie? 15 years ago? Whoa! Yeah, Yeah, I think the same. I'd I'd rewatched this series once since then, but I didn't rewatch the movie. Mm. Yeah, so that might be something we want to cover uh i don't know if it's gonna be super soon i don't know what our schedules are gonna be or when we're gonna get the organization to start this up but since we're at this point and because we're talking about our future plans so we at pen pen pals ben and alex we have had a really great time or i I don't want to speak for both of us but i've had a really great time doing this yeah and one of the most fun things for me was guests in general and in particular i really liked having uh you on brian because i think you're quite thoughtful i think that you contribute a lot and i think that i don't know i just have a great time uh, <laughs> i've also had a great time thank you oh, so much cool. um so ben and i were hoping that in future that you would be a part of pen pen pals not just a guest but that you would take over a position as a co-host and kind of diversify the labor. Oh, that would make me very happy. I would be super honored. Thank you so much. <laughs> Any opposition, Ben? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I said awesome. Yeah, you're amazing. I've got the awesome there. Sorry, just painting you as a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I am also going on not enough sleep and feeling myself kind of 
draining a bit, being maybe a little quieter than normal. So. <laughs> I, I feel you though. I was I was up till five a.m. working on these Evangelion tracks. Time really got away from me. See, this is another reason why I want you on because I think you do amazing transitions. <laughs> Oh my gosh, am I excited to include these tracks that Brian has been working on. And, and so there's you, like, you captured sound from the show itself, and then we're, like, stitching stuff together. Yeah. Almost all of the sounds come from episodes of Evangelion. The only exception is a guitar sample that I took from uh, the ministry song Thieves. Ooh, good band. So this, the second song I've been working on is a lot of material from the Evan, end of Evangelion movie. Uh, that is like super, super manipulated. So there's like screams and growls from Asuka that become uh, musical movements, basically. Uh, just because the way I stretched them out and processed the sounds. That's actually why I was up till 5 a.m. because I was listening to the sound just like, oh my God, this is freaking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, 5 a.m.? <laughs> what? I gotta get out of here. I want to be in the room when you do that. Maybe I can keep you from staying up to it. Well, can I can I ask you guys a couple of questions? Yeah. All right, yeah so yeah, yeah. now that you've gotten to the end of the series, uh, just looking back on the podcasts that you did, is there anything that you would have done different? I guess what I'm asking about, like, are the your personal highs and lows? You're saying of the the process of making the the podcast. Yeah, just your your general experience uh, with the podcast. Um, like, what did, what did you enjoy the most, or what did you feel like maybe you should have done it differently the next time? Well, I definitely would have had guests as early as possible. Not, not because Ben or I are super boring, just because it made it more interesting for me. Uh, you know, we each have our perspective, and Ben, we know, is excellent at playing devil's advocate, coming up with interesting questions. But just having a, a third or even fourth person to bounce around a perspective on it just made everything flow. It made me feel a lot better about the what we were producing, which kind of goes with the message of, you know, at the end, instrumentality. It's about us coming together. It's about, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the friction between people. I know there isn't a whole lot of friction or like massive disagreements, but like friction is what makes it interesting. Like not everything can be completely smooth. Wow. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I think one of the things too, and this is maybe about halfway through, I remember listening back to the first episode, and I feel like we just kind of almost started in the middle, because this started with, we were just gonna watch this show, right? Mm -hmm. And then the podcast came secondary to that. You know, so I think we were a little bit making it up as we went along the first couple episodes, so it's kind of hard, uh, you know, like what else could we have done? But I think, you know, if we were, starting a second season or starting a new show or something like that. I think just being like clear about like introducing ourselves and like what we were doing and stuff like that. We could have could have done more of that. Yeah, we definitely can plan for our future endeavors. Well, if that helps any um, as a listener, I know what you're talking about and uh, I found it very endearing. I thought it was pretty cute. <laughs> That's true. People are always looking for something that smells like authenticity to them. And then as we've seen, or at least I've seen in uh, uh, like entertainment patterns, people on usually small creators on uh, on the ground floor, as it were, will come up with things like that. And then larger companies will see it and reverse engineer it. And soon you've got like shows that, you know, breaking the fourth wall jokes are 
constant because that's what they think audiences want. And it's not because whatever it was seemed authentic at the time. That's great. So when people are listening to this podcast and they ask, what is that smell? You can tell them that's <laughs> authenticity. <laughs> Kind of going back to like why I feel a little disappointed. So I feel like we've been talking about kind of a lot of big themes in terms of kind of different characters representing different religions or kind Mm -hmm. of Freudian stuff going on or whatever. And it does feel like that stuff falls off in this ending. Like Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, oh, Brian, you know, like you've said all this insightful stuff about Christian Shinji versus the more Judaic Gendo or whatever. Mm -hmm. Does this ending map on to that at all? Do you think, Brian? Uh, Yeah, man, I really feel it. Um, It's it's not as pronounced anymore, but um, I guess I speculated last time I was on the show that there was a third trial coming and I feel like this was kind of it. Uh, I feel like Shinji is like the messianic character for this universe that he is the, not, not the one in the, like the classical Christian sense or like the Neo matrix sense, but like the archetype for the one, like he's the one that in our series ending embraces instrumentality and has the new beginning. He's the evangelist for the new beginning, the neon Genesis. I felt like they uh, wrapped that up pretty good again, but the conclusion of that comes without the imagery and metaphors that they've been using for most of the series leading up to this. That's kind of a bummer. Well, thanks for saying all that because now I didn't think that much of it, except that he still only had one line, but I really now like that Gendo is there at the end. You know, Gendo had represented Yahweh, but in, yeah, like by, Uh, asserting himself and saying I want to be here Shinji steps up onto the same plane as him and it like now it maybe in this new world of instrumentality there are no gods or people or it's just people right they're all on the same level now I guess I do like what they did with Gendo in the uh end of Evangelion movie so you know like Shinji has these weird motivations to pilot the Eva to get praise from his father and praise Mm -hmm. from people like Gendo's trying to do instrumentality because he wants to get reunited with his wife. And like, he doesn't really understand what's actually going to happen. <laughs> uh, and in that movie, um, he is relying on Ray to be a part of this special way he's going to do it. And she rejects him and he, it looks like he's, like he's killed. Good. <laughs> so at least in the series, I guess maybe, so I'm just not sure how death works in this whole instrumentality thing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. If you there. died right before the moment of <clears throat> instrumentality, does that mean that's it? Your consciousness doesn't get to be part of it? Well, they do flesh out, I'm sorry, the, just the mechanics of instrumentality. Like, was it called the LCL? LCL fluid? As the, everyone's HP fields break down, they just burst into this fluid. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> Ritsuko, she's been killed, but her body is there, and it also bursts into LCL fluid. And I don't remember, actually, if she's in Shinji's graduation ceremony. She is, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, maybe that's the answer, then. She died, or maybe, I mean, she was shot. She was actually shot in the LCL fluid. Yeah, (laughs) she gets shot and falls into the fluid. (laughs) Yeah, oh, so maybe that's how she... Okay. Like, that's the way to cheat. You're like, yeah. you're dead, but you're submerged in LCL. 
Uh, I guess some questions will never be answered. That's okay. A little mystery. So I'm sorry to be pressing the clock here, but I do have one more question for you guys. Oh, that's fine. I'm not in a super rush. Okay. So uh, let's say you run into one of your buddies and they find out about the podcast and they're like, oh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. What is Evangelion? Neon Genesis Evangelion about? There's a clip I want to put in here from uh, a podcast I very much like called uh, uh, Chapo Trap House, uh, where they explain it quite succinctly. An amoral, an amoral widower scientist uh, who heads a, a giant deep state project in the aftermath of an event called the Second Impact operates giant mechs that fight otherworldly creatures, monsters called angels. Jendo Ikari is reunited with his son, Shinji Ikari, who is the only one who can pilot the robot Ava Unit 01. Shinji is the only one who can do it, but he has been spent, he spent his entire life running away. He's, a, he's like seen as like a timid boy, goes to school in Tokyo 3. All the problems you have going to school as a 14-year-old, but he's got he's to get in that mech. He's got to fucking fight those angels. You learn a lot about the meaning of our lives through our connections to others rising to the occasion the, the choice of self-sacrifice the nature of motherhood fatherhood misato is so hot ostensibly it's about giant fighting robots and the monsters of the week that they battle but it's actually about religion uh, identity, uh, the impossibility of completely knowing another person, the choices we make, and the sometimes unknown or unknowable consequences of those choices. Yeah, and I guess, yeah, coming of age, anime, teens who have to get in max to fight shit, but then um, it's something that actually kind of treats them like teenagers and... Uh, deals with with issues like depression and the meaning of it all oh and it's about the exploitation of women what what about you brian you gotta Uh, i'd say my answer would be somewhere in between the two of you i'd say yeah there's this show about these giant fighting robots that fight weird angel monsters and in the meanwhile their main characters uh, have to ask these questions about who are they and what is their purpose and can they solve their problems on their own or do they require being a part of a community? Thank you everyone for joining us for this season. Uh, you made it through. Congratulations, Brian, since you're now uh, part of the team, do you want to start us off in our pen pen pals sign off? Be honored. Pen. Pen. Pals. Congratulations.